The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, quit wondering why the pawn shop won't take your zip drives and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 441 with guest Sean Wildermute, recorded live Monday, April 20th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD in our TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com And now, the man who says, When pigs fly, swine flu, Carl Franklin! Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin here in New London, Connecticut. And this is Richard Campbell over on the West Coast in sunny Vancouver, British Columbia. Yesterday, it was 90 degrees. Man, it's still only springtime. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful out. Hey, man, uh, we got a lot of stuff to cover in this intro. So let's start with Better Know Framework. Awesome. Well, you know, we've been talking about uh, system windows controls, the WPF namespace. Um, and uh, there are just some when I'm looking through that are like ho-hum, but I thought I'd talk about them anyway. Okay. Um, the tab control. And I don't mean it's ho-hum like, you know, like it's not awesome, the tab control, but it's a tab. We've, we've seen tabs a million times before. Right. It, you know, it's useful for minimizing screen space usage. Um, while allowing an application to expose a large amount of data. So you can just flip through these tabs and you have tab items and items control collection. Uh, hey, it's a tab control. Hey, it's a tab control. What can I say? <laughs> What's cool about it, of course, is that it, just like all WPF controls, you can create them with XAML. Right. So there's some great XAML. Uh, there's a nice little sample in the documentation in MSDN. So, you know, it's the tab control. What can we say? It's there. Cool. It's there. Go check it out. What do you got for us? I have an email. This will amuse you, this one. Uh, Hi, Carl and Richard. I've been an avid listener since show number one and really appreciate the hard work that must go into producing the podcast. In my company, we're about to begin a project to rewrite a VV6 WinForms application in ASP.NET. Oh! 
The <laughs> legacy app has approximately a million lines of code, oh! so the project is going to be somewhat difficult. Oh, God. It hurts just thinking about it. The application has been hacked at for 10 years by various developers and people who called themselves developers, but Ugh. judging by some of the code they written, they clearly weren't. Good Lord. I have researched the topic of rewriting legacy applications in the hope that we will avoid the pitfalls that many projects have fallen into, and it occurred to me that you have not done a .NET Rock show on this subject, or if you have, I've missed it. Oh. We yeah, did do a we show. we did do a show. Let me yeah, find it. It was 397, Michael Feathers, and it was talked specifically about legacy code. There was also another one we did with uh, John Rauschenberger about yeah, VB6. Yeah. Specific on, on VB6 bridging. That's right. Yeah. Now, that was Windows Forms bridging, I think. Yeah. But that was a good one. Yeah. It was great thinking on the whole problem of how to wrap that thing up. But I really liked, uh, I liked Mike Feathers' one, too, because it was really about how you wrap code coverage to understand the existing app to build the lay to, to build support through the legacy app on it and and know that you're not breaking anything right wow i my my i feel for you dude that's oh yeah that is a huge expensive undertaking and not to mention frustrating well and you have to wonder uh there it is the vb6 windows form interop that was 184, yeah, 184 july of july 11th yeah it's a long time 2006. ago 2006 <laughs> But yeah, you, you gotta wonder, is it really worth the rewrite or do you just use that app as a template to build something new? Anyway, let me finish this email. Yeah, okay. I, I'm sure that a lot of companies are now at the point of rewriting legacy apps into new technologies. We held off for a long time, but now feel it is the time to get our main application rewritten in .NET. It would be great to hear expert opinions on the subject, best approaches, things to avoid. And I think it would make an interesting show that many people would benefit from. P.S. Could you get the show up before we start our project in June? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, we'll see what we can do. Probably not. Um, but, it, you know, it's pretty close to June. But we'll see what we can do. How about a mug? Will that make you feel better? Definitely we'll give you a mug. And possibly uh, you could win a trip to TechEd 2009. Absolutely. If you try... Now, we, we have one more winner to pick, and we've been doing this every week. Here, here's the thing. First of all, we're giving away a ticket to TechEd 2009, which is going to be in Los Angeles, May 11th through 15th. And what you do is you go to the .NET Rock site. You click on the green TechEd sweepstakes button. That brings you to a page. You answer a question about the, a recent show. Uh, from those correct answers, we pick a, a correct answer, a winner, every week. We're on the third week now. Um, and, uh, we're going to pick on Thursday, we're going to pick another winner and the final winner will be announced also on Thursday. Now, here's the deal. We went for two weeks with the same question. Nice. So we just picked two people and we actually did pick somebody last week, but we just failed to announce their name. We, we, we gave them the mug and we <laughs> said, congratulations, you're a winner. We just didn't announce their name on the show. So, the first week's winner was uh, Robert Nagby from El Cajon, California. The second week winner, who we did not announce, is Scott Klupel from Jacksonville, Florida. And this week's winner is, ready? Ready? All right. Wait for it. Okay. Joel Duvall from Roseville, California. Woo! So, we got three winners, and we know it's a short uh, span of time for you to get your question in. We're going to have that up as soon as possible. So... 
you have at least another couple of days to get the last question answered right. and get in the running. So one other person has a shot at this. And on Thursday, we draw for the big winner. Gets to go to Tech Ed, airfare and hotel, all included. That's right. And I also got to mention, Richard, that in this time of economic crisis, people are still hiring talented developers. As a matter of fact, Infusion Development is uh, hiring people for their New York office, for their Toronto, Canada office, for their London office, and for their Dubai office with a focus on uh, SharePoint developers. They're really looking for SharePoint gurus. Cool. So if you're interested in that, send me a, uh, a great great company to work for. Send me an email, carl at franklins.net, and I'll hook you up with them. And with that, Richard, let's introduce Sean. Sean Wildermuth is a Microsoft MVP for C-Sharp and MCSD.net, MCT, and is the founder of Wildermuth Consulting Services, LLC, a company that's dedicated to delivering architecture, mentoring, and software solutions. He's also, of course, a speaker on the INETA Speakers Bureau, and has appeared at several national and international conferences to speak on a variety of subjects. Sean is also the author of several books, including the book PragmaticADO.net for Addison Wesley, four Microsoft certification training kits for MS Press, as well as the upcoming book Prescriptive Data Architectures. He's been writing articles for a number of years for a variety of magazines and websites, including MSDN, MSDN Online, DevSource, InformIT, Windows IT Pro, TheServerSide.net, on.net.com and Intel's Rich Client Series. Sean has enjoyed building data-driven software for more than 20 years. He can be reached at his website at www.wildermuthconsulting, W-I-L-D-E-R-M-U-T-H, consulting.com. Welcome, Sean. Thank you. How are you guys doing today? Doing ducky. Ducky, wow. And speaking of ducky, my voice is a little ducky. A little yeah. hoarse. I'm still a little hoarse. Well, it's a, is it a duck or a horse? It's definitely a horse. Yeah. And if it sounds like a horse and smells like a horse, it's a horse, I think. <laughs> I, I don't want to know about the smell. Well, I couldn't think of any other sense for... Yeah, never mind. So, um, <laughs> Silverlight 3, man. That's it. Good stuff. Already? I'm just kind of stunned. Well, interestingly, if you were at Mix, Silverlight 3... Look and felt like a giant release. Ooh, we have all this cool new stuff. When you start to look at the bullet list, it's actually a small release. Not like Silverlight 2 was and not how big I expect Silverlight 4 to be. It's uh, uh, They found a lot of pain points to touch on, but uh, I actually don't think it's that big a deal. Okay. I would say quantitatively, yes. But qualitatively, is that a word? It is now. Qualitatively? That sounds good. But qualitatively, it, uh, it, it's got some really great features. It does. It does. It, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I, the thing that everyone left Mix buzzing about was this, uh, the out-of-the-browser story. Right, could, right. You know, kind of the uh, click once dot silverlight, I guess. Uh, people have started to call it Sloop Silverlight out-of-browser, and I'm really trying to – I hope that doesn't stick. Sloob? Sloop, yes. Ooh, that's nasty sound. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. It sounds, sounds like, like something I you need a tissue for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but wait a second. Is it Silverlight out of browser just WPF with less features? Uh it, it is, except uh 
has one a feature that WPF doesn't have that's very important. Which is? It runs on a Mac. Ah, ah yeah, right. That is a huge feature. Yeah, that is a pretty big feature. Um, it, it's interesting because I'm, I'm on the WPF Disciples list, and those guys, when they heard about Outer Browser, some of them were really like, what? Well, wait, mm. wait. We like WPF. What are you doing to us? Right. You know, there was a lot of fear around exactly what you said. Isn't this WPF with with fewer features? And it, it, it certainly is in some some respect. Um, but you know, I think Out of Browser was a an attempt to respond to Air more than it was WPF. Air, right? Adobe Air. Yeah. The Adobe Air. So you know, I I like to call it the Twirl or Tweet Deck feature. Twirl or Tweak. Um. Because the, those are the big applications. A lot of people uh, are installing Air in, in order to play with Twitter. Oh, 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 okay. And I, I don't know if either of you guys are on Twitter. but Well, you know, on Twitter, define that. I mean, uh, I find that I get about 10 new subscriptions to my Twit feed or to my Twitter feed every day. And I just don't understand what people expect me to say. <laughs> I just don't know. Uh, my my uh, most recent Twitter was why are you reading this? That's that's a good idea. That's, <laughs> that's not bad. Now I twittered that I'm talking to Sean Wildermuth right now, so you know. Well, okay. Well, the Republicans um, on the the floor of the House during the Obama State of the Union or whatever it was called speech are twittering. Don't, don't you think you should be? I mean, that that does not compel you to. Right. Mm. Doing what Congress does is not an encouragement. Yeah, the opposite of progress, <laughs> Congress. <laughs> I think Mark Twain said, now suppose you're an idiot, and suppose you're a member of Congress. But I repeat myself. <laughs> well, that, 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 that's certainly an offshoot. But I admit, uh, I do run TweetDeck, and it is an Adobe Air app, and it's, it's a great app. It is. Except for memory consumption, but we'll ignore that for the minute. This is the first I've heard of TweetDeck. Okay, there you go. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a client for running for working with with uh, Twitter, and the best feature for me is the fact that you could you could put in searches like I search on .NET Rocks, and uh, and it just steadily updates whenever somebody says something about .NET Rocks. Okay, well, that's interesting. But yeah, it, it is an, It's my only exposure to Air is this app, and it's an impressive app. I just wonder how much of the app is Air. And how much of it is just a well-coded app that could have been written in Silverlight or, or WinForms, for that matter? Well, it could. It, Air isn't anything special. Uh, um, Air is simply a wrapper to allow Flash Flex apps to run um, out of the browser. Okay. So, arguably, you could say it's a very similar story. The big difference is that Air runs, um, when you're running it on the desktop, it runs as full trust, and therefore it's not treated like a web app. And that is decidedly different from what Silverlight 3 out of the browser does. Uh, the Silverlight 3 out of the browser story is you're actually still running on a web page and we're keeping you in the sandbox. Now that has del delighted some people like me and horrified other people because they want WPF. They want the, the full security story of WPF. They want to be able to um, um, save things to the My Documents folder and and uh, get at local resources and, and that sort of thing, which you can do with Air. Um, 
And so that, that's, that's been a little frustrating to those people. I, I, I'm kind of of the opinion that uh, uh, even though Adobe is somewhat a, a target for uh, um, white and black ha- hackers, that uh, Microsoft is a much bigger target. And so the, I would rather them release something that's less feature-rich and more secure than to give Silverlight a black eye and, you know, everybody loses. Yeah. So let's uh, talk about some of the other features besides out of the browser. I mean, that's interesting and, and certainly uh, disruptive. But what about <laughs> what about offline? Well, offline's an interesting story. Obviously, it goes somewhat with out of the browser, but it's not required. They're, they're allowing you to now test and get events back when the state of the network connection changes so that you can literally decide, oh, we no longer have a network connection saved to local storage because you want to shut down or, um, you know, stop peeing the server and, and waiting for, for failures, that sort of thing. It's it, They're giving the, the, the story of allowing you to know about the Internet connection and do something about it. That's really cool. I mean, I thought the offline story was just the fact that I have offline storage. The fact that you could tell me if I'm offline or online, that's a not an easy question to answer when you're living in .NET. It, it isn't. In, in fact, you um, Silverlight uh, um, has some of those same pains because what they're essentially telling you to do is, um, even though we told you you were online, you should probably... Um, test the server to make sure you're online because uh, on developer machines this is particularly troublesome because we tend to have VMware and and, uh, uh, VPC installed and so when they say oh is there a network um, is there a uh, um, network card that has a active network connection cool your loopback adapter is turned on so you must have an internet connection yeah so um, right. it, it's still pretty much as problematic as the desktop story. Um, the big difference here is that in Silverlight, you didn't have access to that at all. And so now you have as good or as bad as the, the .NET um, story is. They're talking about ways of trying to make that a little better, um, but I don't think that'll happen before Silverlight 3 releases. Because like, like you said, it's a, it's a difficult problem. What does being offline really mean? Yeah, right. what does online really mean? Yeah, right. There's online and there's online. Yeah. Uh, w- w- what I do find interesting is um, that you are getting notifications almost immediately when the when the uh, when you're losing uh, internet connectivity and you don't have, you know, um, uh, always running network connections. Uh, I was quite impressed with the speed because it's not waiting for timeout. Effectively, when the OS finds out. You know, it goes to no internet connection because your network card's dead or because you're out of range. Silverlight was told immediately, which is better than uh, um, some other systems. But you still still have the problem of you're still going to want to ping the server to be really sure you're online. All right. There's some new stuff with fonts in, in Silverlight. One of the big complaints about Silverlight in general has been um, um, uh, the rendering of fonts. Uh, because uh, clear text isn't uh, um, isn't used, and the OS's font rendering isn't used. It's uh, Silverlight drawing the fonts on the screen. So small fonts tend to look pretty bad in Silverlight. And in Silverlight three, when it releases, it's not actually in the in the beta. Um, all fonts will be uh, clear text rendered. So that's a big win for a lot of people that are doing very text intensive apps that were really complaining about. Um, uh, about that behavior. You can also change and uh, tell the font that 
or not font, but the text that you're going to animate it in some way, um, and uh, it will stop doing its text computation to make animation actually um, usable. Because before it was doing all of this calculation for how it was going to fit on the screen while animating, let's say, the size of the font, and it, and it was making the animation slow and choppy, and, and that's been resolved as well. Mm. Okay, this is a bigger topic that it may look like on the surface because I didn't know that they weren't using fonts in the first place. So no, no wonder they had, that really would mess with the whole rendering process in a big way. Right. But the downside to going to fonts is what happens when a developer is using a font that the user doesn't have installed. That's true. Well, what should happen is it, they should have the opportunity to install it, I think. Well, what you have to understand is Actually, Silverlight 3 changes this a tiny bit, but in Silverlight 2, it never uses installed fonts. Ever, 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 ever. There are um, a handful of fonts that are delivered with Silverlight, and you have the opportunity to ship fonts with your application. The, okay. the difference here is that whether it's they're being rendered using ClearType or not. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. So, um, in fact, uh, in Blend 2 as well as Blend 3, when you use a font, you have the option to subset that font as well, which for licensing considerations is something that becomes a pretty big deal, as well as size. But you said to subset that font? Yes. That's where you know you're only using seven characters out of the 250 oh. characters on the font, and so it'll create on the fly a TTF file to embed that only has those seven characters. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you were going to allow them to type in that font, you would not subset it. And the way fonts are licensed is you're either license you either they allow distribution whole, which is expensive usually if you want that license. They allow you um, um, uh, um, embed it with subsetting so that if I grab the font out of the file, I don't have the full font, or they don't allow distribution at all. Um, and this for designers is a pretty big deal because they spend a lot of money on fonts. Uh, surprisingly, not all designers get all their fonts from freefonts.com. <laughs> Sean, um, we all know that uh, Silverlight is a sort of subset, and in some cases a superset, but mostly a subset of WPF functionality. Correct. Uh, and, and, you know, it stands to reason that there's a lot of things that just don't apply because they're more Windows-oriented or Windows-dependent. Uh, but are is there anything... Does anything jump out as being missing that shouldn't be missing still in Silverlight here at version 3? Yes, there are two two things that I think are causing a lot of pain. One isn't really missing from the in the respect from the .NET framework, but the, the one that, that is causing a lot of people pain is printing. There's no, still no printing stack. Really? So they, and the regular yeah. printing in the browser doesn't doesn't do it? It does, but for people wanting to take what they have in the browser and then formulate it as a full-page print, um, okay. they can't do it. Yeah, My attitude for a long time has been, isn't that what PDF is for? But huh. uh, that doesn't make a lot of people happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, PDF has become the de facto standard printing methodology for the web. Yep. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Whenever I do web apps, uh, PDF is always the printing um, um uh, is the way we do printing because it, it allows you, you know, a lot of control. You're always getting a one-to-one. It isn't this magic. People, I think it's really the the WinForms guys that are not used to a lot of web development that end up wanting a printing stack. But Microsoft has said it's something they're working on and they want to deliver. And 
and so I'll I'll leave it at that. They they've been pretty honest with knowing it's not there and knowing that some people really want it. Um, it it's not going to affect me, but it's going to affect some people. The other one that is a real problem, um, and this is more of what is missing in Silverlight versus Adobe Stack, and that is um, signing of assemblies and caching of assemblies. Uh, in in um, Flash, it's kind of interesting the way they do it. Their runtime is smaller than their uh, download package is smaller than Silverlight. It's about 1.8 meg versus four and three quarters meg. Mm. Um, that includes almost just a bootstrapper because anytime you start to use a Flash app that needs some new code from from um, from Adobe, it downloads it and throws it in a something like a GAC. So that people can use it. So, in fact, the runtime size is much larger than Silverlight's. Um, but they're doing this smart caching on the client. But in order to do that, they have to be able to sign and trust those parts of their code. So, to me, um, that's a pretty big story for third-party vendors, for first, obviously, for Microsoft assemblies or even um, um, uh, uh, people that are building applications, having a way to actually... Um, build up a cache of, of assemblies and, and other assets uh, to use on the client instead of having to download the entire Zap every time. Um, that's the big one that, that uh, I think is really missing because it really causes you know way more work than it needs to. Right now they're depending a lot on browser cache, and that's, that's not a good story as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Do you think the out-of-browser uh, support in... Silverlight 3 should be full trust, like Air? I don't, actually. But I'm not building a a, um, a Twitter client. Uh, and I say that it's a little bit with tongue-in-cheek, but most of the guys that I know that are really adamant about this problem is because they want to do cross-domain calls. They want to call into a service like Twitter um, and uh, make some uh, uh, work with the API and call back data. And now Twitter has specifically forbidden web sites from calling their API directly with cross-domain. They've got a policy file that says no. It's not like they haven't decided. It's that they've decided no. So in order to do that, that's why all the Twitter clients written in um, Flash or Flex are um, desktop clients, because then a desktop client isn't um, um, limited by the cross-domain stuff. And so a lot of people that talk about, oh, we should have all these resources, most of them are talking about the cross-domain problem, honestly. Yeah. So should maybe we make an exception and not, not follow the cross-domain policy if you're running out of the browser? Maybe. But because it's so much, in my opinion, about Twitter, um, I'd rather them not do it unless we have a really good compelling case besides okay. Twitter. Yeah. Isn't the basic rule here cross-domain bad? Well, sort of. Um, I mean, for line of business applications, do you do you ever need to do that? I isn't, don't think so. And isn't that where Silverlight 3 is really focused? I think so. Yeah, I really think it is about line of business apps. Line of business apps do need to cross domains occasionally when they're dealing with partners, but we already have a way of doing that in the browser as well as out of the browser, and that is with these um, um uh, security policy files that say who's allowed um, and what kind of access they're given yeah. that you drop on, on a web server and then it just works. The, I think the reason people want it for tw- Twitter is because Twitter has said no. Hmm. And so running right. as a desktop app gets you around that problem. Okay. Yes, yeah, it's purely a policy evasion tactic. 
in, in some ways. I mean, tw- Twitter has made the decision that they don't want browser-enabled apps to run their APIs, but they're okay with desktop apps. So you could argue whether out of the browser is a desktop app, and it looks and acts and feels like a desktop app. Mm. So maybe it should be allowed. It's it's an open question. I I threw it open to uh, on a blog entry recently and got a lot of opinions on both sides. I don't think it be, should be full trust. I think the air problem with full trust is you don't get much of the power of full trust, but you have all the targeting uh, of full trust, so that. Um, you can't do a lot more than cross-domain and write to one or two folders on, on the system, but you're, you're running as full trust, so if someone finds a hole in Flash, they're now running as you. Right. Um, it's it's so, just a vulnerability thing. Absolutely. And I think, I think Adobe can get away with it because even they're somewhat a target, they're not Microsoft, and Microsoft right. is, has the big target on their forehead. And so, right. to me, it's you know, it's, just, it's it's about three things: security, security, and um, oh yeah, security. security. <laughs> if it's not yeah. secure, it doesn't matter. Silverlight goes away. And... There is some new stuff in uh, web service security for Silverlight, right? Right. One of the pains has been that um, because secrets in Silverlight can't be secured, because I can download the zap file and in a couple minutes with Reflector, look at all the code. And mm. there aren't any good obfuscators right now. So doing things like um, 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 uh, private public key encryption or even shared secret encryption in Silverlight doesn't work, so it's not allowed. Um, what some people have asked for is the ability to call web services without using um, you know, WS security, uh, which is kind of the standard CF way of doing it. Um, but at least allow us to provide credentials. So there's two things they've provided. One is to allow you to pass credentials in the SOAP header um, using the client credential stuff that you have on the desktop. Um, it does require HTTPS because, of course, it's in the SOAP header, so it's not going to be secure to, to listeners. So they're requiring HTTPS. Um, and they're also allowing you to integrate um, and um, interoperate with forms authentication. What that means is that they're allowing you to call directly into the forms authentication service on the server and send them a username and password to set up the auth cookie directly from a Silverlight app instead of having to go to a landing page, log in, and then go to the Silverlight app, which is the way it has to be done today. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who bring you this message. One of the drawbacks of using third-party tools is that you have to deal with numerous vendors. So say goodbye to consistent quality and service level. Fortunately, that's not always the case. Our friends at Telerik, for example, are a true one-stop shop for .NET. They recently rolled out their Q1 release, which is just packed with good stuff. Start with Silverlight, an incredible grid, chart, editor, and everything else. A whole suite. A 3D chart, yes, 3D in Silverlight is coming soon as well. The traditionally strong ASP.NET AJAX suite got even cooler. New controls, Visual Studio extensions for quick project kickstarts, new examples and skins, you name it. And how about web testing? Yep, Telerik is now offering a powerful solution for automated testing of modern AJAX applications. It's called Web UI Test Studio and is developed in partnership with Art of Test. Then comes reporting, WPF, WinForms, but I'm running out of time. So just go to www.telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com, and be amazed. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Changing directions here. 
Let's talk a little bit about the Silverlight 3 navigation framework and what that's all about. Sure. The navigation framework is, is interesting. It's a it's a, a actually a new project type where you have um, um, it, interesting. It looks a little bit like an MVC app in that it has these frames that are changing in the middle and then kind of pseudo tabs at the top. The interesting part of it isn't that they're kind of building this standard method for showing individual pages, so you can create things like wizards or tabbed um, um, UIs. Is that they're actually using the 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 pages you're going to to change the URI so that you're getting deep linking into that application that supports navigation. Um, and that's one of the reasons why some people are like, are, is Microsoft trying to encourage us to write all our apps this way? If we have deep linking, isn't it web-friendly? Yeah. Um, I don't think so, but um, certainly there's some people out there that are afraid this is another um, um, this is another jab at um, XAML is better than HTML story, which I don't I don't believe is true. Wait, they're, they're different, but I think the deep linking feature for Silverlight is a big deal, and it is does make it more web friendly. I just don't think it replaces anything. Absolutely, I'm, I'm totally with you. And um, in Silverlight too, you could do this. You just had to write it yourself. So the technology of making deep linking work isn't new. All they did was create a framework so that as you go from pseudo page to pseudo page, that are changing mm-hmm. the URI. Mm-hmm. Um, Though in in the in the um, Silverlight Tour class, we actually teach people how to do this really with anything because it's not always going to be a navigation that causes this. It may be that you just want to simply save state as you go along, and they're they're doing this essentially by using um, um, anchor um, um, anchor tags in the URI, just the way that all that Flash apps do it as well. It's nothing new. So you navigate to a bookmark that has some arbitrary data that you know how to uh, interpret. Um, so you can imagine a line of business app or something like that. Every time you change what customer you're looking at, you might put pound cust ID equals foo yeah. or hide it in some way so that you could send that to a coworker to look at this customer. Um, the navigation right. framework is really just giving you that opportunity to have that sort of application. And it's it's one of the top questions that Silverlight 2 um, forums uh, pops up is I, how do I move from page to page right. in Silverlight? How do I change the the root page and that sort of thing? And so they're really answering that question for people. It's not. Uh, I think people are too easy to uh, think it's something nefarious and has all these you know uh, side effects that <laughs> um, um, that Microsoft is trying to do something great with. Whereas you know, four developers are in way. A lot of people are having this pain. Let's just build something for them. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that's the way they usually do it. Yeah. Yeah. I like to describe Microsoft as it's not a, a giant company. It's it's 150 small companies, right? I mean, you have all these little... Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. And they're competing with each other as much as the rest of the world. They are Absolutely. totally competing with each other. Yeah, I mean it's a it's the definitely the cream rises to the top kind of atmosphere. It can be pretty brutal, from what I understand, on the inside. You know, just there are the competition. I'm, I'm glad that the couple of times I interviewed at Microsoft, I wasn't accepted. Because <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's it's rough out there. No two ways about it. It's a very interesting company. I think I think I feel like we've got the best of the both worlds. We get to work pretty closely with them, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, we get to go home too. And we Absolutely. get to say what we want about whatever we want, which is true. <laughs> uh, so what about 
RIA services. I think this is sort of the the key thing for Silverlight 3 in my mind. Well, it would be if it were a Silverlight 3 deliverable. Okay, that's this fair. This is a big confusion out there, and I, I've, I, I've asked Ab- Brad Abrams a couple of times to write more blog entries. You know, put this as a banner someplace. Uh, you scream it from the rooftop sort of thing. It is not a Silverlight 3 deliverable RIA services. It was introduced um, at Mix, but it's still very early. Um, what's interesting about the... Well, let me define the RIA services just so, for people who, who don't know. Yeah. Essentially, it's a framework for allowing you to define um, models on the server that have validation that then create versions of those models on the client in Silverlight that include that same validation. Ooh. So it's a way to share validation data um, across the wire, as it were, without having to... There are some other techniques for doing this, but they're trying to create a way that does some some code gen for you to to make this magic a little easier. So in, this is UI validation only, not business rule validation? or Well, um, it's business rule validation as long as your business rules are pretty simple. Let me mm. put it that way. Because... Um, Doing real business rule validation is, is is still difficult because there's no way, there's no easy way to say no. when um, when you create a new order, call a web service to see if they have credit available and and uh, do these other things. If it's simply code, it's pretty easy for real services to share it. But when you start getting into real processing as part of those business rules, it becomes very difficult to share, and you're back to kind of the old thing. Not to mention the fact that a lot of people have their business logic deeply embedded in their in their middle tier. You know, they, they have that code already. They're maybe using a framework. Maybe they've just written it, you know, written their own tier for that. But... Um, in a lot of ways, this is what the same thing that Rocky Latka is trying to do with CSLA.net. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. CSLA Lite. Well, and so it makes sense to me that the RIA services is just a an interfacing layer between that remote Silverlight app and your existing business objects. Well, uh, the big problem they're trying to solve is Cogen and Silverlight uh, hmm. because they're trying to take those business rules you have and share them with the client. Um, and that's because you don't want to have to go across the wire to confirm the business rule, right? Right. So um, some of the ways the the current bits work, I'm not a huge fan of, but but they've been pretty honest uh, about admitting it. Uh, they've they've invented a few things, and there's a little too much Visual Studio magic for my tastes. Mm. But I, what I've been trying to encourage people to do, because we're still really early in it. Again, it's I don't know if it's Silverlight Four deliverable or a post Silverlight Three. It's going to be somewhere between. Uh, 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 somewhere after Silverlight 3, is to go download and play with the bits and feedback um, the team what you like and don't like because we're still early enough to affect change. It's not like when some other technologies out of Microsoft have come out um, and it's been too late. We're yeah. actually really early enough in, in RIA to, to help them figure out the right way to do this. And the guys who really have the um, uh, know a lot of stuff about this problem space of the guys that I really wish would take a look at this. Um, I did a podcast recently, and a couple of the guys on the call hadn't looked at it, but had a lot of opinions about it, and I had a hard, kind of a hard time with that notion. Um, yeah, no kidding. How can you have a lot of opinions if you haven't actually evaluated what they've done? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the couple of things that aren't in the bits today that I, I've gotten Brad Abrams to agree to publicly 
and I'm going to hold them to it, is one is to um, uh, make sure that instead of inventing their own over-the-wire protocol, that they'll use ADU.NET data services since it's, it's a stack that works really well, especially with Silverlight. And, and uh, um, new code isn't good code. Old code is good code. Uh, and also, instead of the magic they're doing today, because essentially what the magic happens today is as you create these domain wrappers around your internal model, they go immediately create this special folder in the Silverlight app and build the and code gen as you type almost. Um, and so this works when all your projects consist of a website and a Silverlight app. But there's lots and lots of projects that are, are um, uh, um, composition apps that are built uh, very differently than that. That uh, the only time you you have the web app with all your Silverlight apps um, is during the build phase, not during the design phase. And uh, so he's uh, committed to also having a ad service reference um, behavior there as well, because that's something people are used to. Um, uh, and it's something that you can add into the build to build those service references if you, that's what you need as well. Now let's talk about tooling for a little bit. Uh, sure. Visual Studio uh, 10, do we know anything about this in, in support for Silverlight 3 and what that's going to look like? Sure. In uh, 2010, they've committed to a better XAML editor directly in in um, in, in Visual Studio. The problem here is that uh, uh, so far the XAML editing they've supported for WPF hasn't really compared to the Blend story, and so um, I'm holding my breath. Uh, mm. But it is important to note that Silverlight 3 isn't tied to um, Visual Studio 2010. It will be delivered before... Um, Visual Studio 2010 ships. Okay. So even though it will be supported and will have some um, interesting features in 2010, mostly it's a 2008 deliverable. So when the Blend 3 preview is available at uh, Microsoft.com slash expression, uh, what's that all about? Blend 3? Yeah, there's a lot of new things in Blend 3. One of the things that you can't play with yet, <laughs> but they showed off a lot, was something called um, um, sketch flow. And for designers, for developers, I think it's of limited interest, but for designers, it's, it's really raising the bar even above what Adobe is doing. It's allowing you to sketch together UIs, um, point customers at these sketched UIs, and actually annotate them with, with their comments, and it wow. creates kind of this workflow between um, stakeholders and designers to get the UI right. And what's interesting about Sketchflow is um, it's actually using XAML so that once you get an approval, converting this sort of scribble, scribbled version of the, uh, you know, the back of the napkin version of your UI to real um, XAML is, is fairly trivial. It's, uh, you know, changing the, the styling back to normal and, um, 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 you know, starting doing the polishing and gradients and rounded corners like designers love to do. And, and so that's a pretty big story in the competition space um, and in the designer space. Uh, another of the features in Blend that, that I'm really excited about um, are behaviors. And uh, as a developer, even though you think of it as a Blend feature, behaviors are a way to um, add, not surprisingly, um, um, verbs to the XAML nouns. So uh, there are behaviors that do as simple things as pop up a dialog box, pop up a message box. Um, there's also behaviors out there that incorporate an entire physics engine. So you suddenly can make 
um, um, your objects have gravity towards each other and some other things that aren't really applicable to line of business, but they provide a model for writing behaviors that have to do with your own um, applications. It's a simple programming model that are similar to triggers in WPF. I'm trying to, th- I, I, you said that, yeah, objects have gravity towards each other. And I'm, I'm thinking it had a metaphor, but immediately I sort of had this visualization of controls falling into each other. That's actually the demo that Peter Bloss did at, really? um, at, at uh, uh, Mix. Wow. And those bits are um, uh, ones you can get. They've actually built a community site um, in expression for sharing different kinds of code and behaviors is one of the sections. So that as people build behaviors, you can grab them and use them in your own apps, sort of a community-based sharing mechanism. Um, because there's a lot of a lot of things you can you can do with them and they can interact with each other. It's it's a pretty powerful feature. Um, one of the places where I think this will become really useful is in line of business apps, because it becomes the mechanism in Silverlight for tying together your view with your uh, presenter controller or view model, whichever uh, one of the patterns you're using. Um, because this is pure XAML, it it, achieve, it helps you achieve closer to that kind of pure um, pure XAML view um, because you're essentially saying, you know, execute some uh, method or uh, um, um, change some property on the view model, and you're doing that with a behavior instead of having to write code. And so it allows you to even in, in, in blend tie together your views with your view model uh, directly in blend instead of having to do it necessarily with code. Ah, uh, that was a nice little... Uh... Uh, place where the editors can get another noise profile. <laughs> um, let's talk about patterns for Silverlight. Um, we did a, a little talk with Eunice about this. We talked a little bit about it, but uh, the, the, there's a lot of view model buzz out there. Yeah, and I think there's still some confusion about exactly the right way to do it. Um, essentially, the the... There's, there's two pieces to it that I like to talk about, and we'll start with um, the model um, view, view model pattern that a lot of people are espousing for Silverlight, and, and to some respect for WPF as well. And that essentially is somewhat like a, a model view controller pattern where you still have the, the model of the data you're going to deal with. You have the view that's going to um, um, show that data, and then you have this intermediary that's, that's controlling it. But instead of a pure controller where um, they're not really uh, sandwiched in the middle, they're actually communicating with both, the view model is something um, uh, that's in between the model and the view, specifically that the, the view never talks to the model directly. And the reason the view model works in Silverlight and WPF so well is because the, the, the way you're tying up views to view models is with binding. And so it becomes the data source of your application. So when you want to execute or show data, you're binding directly to the thing that knows how to solve your that problem space instead of going directly to the, the data that is exposed by the the model. So you can imagine a view model might have a collection of, of customers and that those customers might be specific to information that we're only going to show in this view and the, that view model may be used in a couple of different scenarios, but it's really going to allow you to um, have that um, um, use binding to just get the data you want instead of having to have this knowledge in the view about how to get that data from the model. And Prism? Are we using Prism with Silverlight? 
Yeah, Prism um Prism 2.0 came out I believe in February and Prism um is a is a way to allow you to uh, um uh, um put together larger applications. It supports kind of the model view view model or even the other patterns if you prefer to use those with Silverlight. What it really does is allow you to um um keep your application as smaller components. And for Silverlight, this is of real interest, much more than I think even WPF, because one of the one of the stories around Prism is because you're dealing with your application as small modules or small components, you can tell Prism to load these components as they're needed or in the background once your application loads, so yeah. that I would have a main Zap file that's you know that's fairly small. That is the shell of my application. And then as I need different parts of my application to be loaded because someone's navigated to that part of the UI or based on their roles or whatever the case may be, it has the knowledge to go out over the wire, grab a zap file, and then inject your modules into the application, which because size of Silverlight apps is somewhat a concern, modularizing your Silverlight applications becomes a huge win much more than the kind of dropping them in a folder problem you have in WPF and that some of these other technologies are trying to solve. Because you have this time over the wire and payload size is an issue to Silverlight. It becomes an enormous win. And there are other techniques in, in PRISM to make that process easier, like being able to um, publish your subscriber model for events and some other things that will help you build your application component-wise. But for, for Silverlight, this being able to pull these applications to pieces is, is just an enormous win, especially for the line of business where you have large applications with lots of developers and lots of pieces. We talked before about the architecture of a good uh, good architecture for Silverlight UI as not being some sort of monolithic, you know, panel that just runs, much like Flash applications do, but right. is sort of a combination of, you know, uh, modern AJAX-enabled web pages with little pieces of Silverlight in in there that then can communicate with each other and talk. Uh, this is this is obviously not changing. Do you see that as a challenge for most people getting into Silverlight development? Because it's certainly not the way we were taught to write ASP.NET apps. Uh, maybe sure. it is if you have web controls. So you, do you think of Silverlight uh, little, I don't know what you'd call them, just pieces of a Silverlight application? Do you think of them as as web controls or user controls? In some respects, um, you can think about them that way. But um, I, I think it's pretty different. Uh, when we talked last about this, about kind of the architecture, mm. my opinion at that time, and it hasn't changed a lot, but it, it's evolved a little, was that Silverlight um, is best used in, in on Internet sites as these islands of functionality. You're going right. to keep AJAX and you're going to keep HTML on the page. And when you need to do something that's hard to do in those facilities, mm. they're having a... Uh, um, Silverlight app to to extend the DOM or extend your application is the right thing to do. And I think that's still true. The difference is that as Microsoft has been reaching out to the line of business people, you have people that want to run applications full in the browser or even out of the browser now right. yeah. that are, are replacements for desktop applications, really. Right. And so that's where tools like Prism really help those guys much more than the guys that are building the small pieces of a large website. And I like to differentiate between internet delivery and internet um, um, websites. Uh, what I want to discourage is 
writing websites in Silverlight, right? Uh, because right. even with the navigation framework, it's still pretty broken. Um, it's not a good way to develop full-page internet um, um, sites. But applications where you're really replacing functionality that people before had to run an, uh, an installer and have to deal with updates and such, Silverlight is actually a pretty good solution for those guys. I was kind of opposed to that for a long time. Right. I've, I've kind of been dissuaded by a lot of really good success stories in that space. Well, and also, you know, the out-of-browser just sort of lends itself to, okay, we're out. We're, we don't need to build little pieces in time together with Ajax. We can make these standalone things. But it also brings up a question about usability and accessibility, discoverability even. People, do you find that people are less comfortable with out-of-browser apps than they are with something that just runs in the browser? They can use the back button or click the tab to get rid of at any time. Does a browser still offer that level of comfort in uh, or, I think it, or whatever it is? I, I think it depends on the user. So if I have run a software company for 10 years and I've been delivering to my vertical market some application that runs on their desktop, but I want to have a better model of doing that, and so I move to an out-of-the-browser or even full-page browser, I don't think the comfort of those people is going to change because they're already used to feeling like it's a, it's a single monolithic app, as it were. Even though it yeah. may be built in with components, it still feels to them like one app. But where it really becomes difficult is when you deal with with um, um, kind of general purpose applications. So uh, people that are used to the browser being their their operating system, um, which is you know anyone under twenty five when you ask them what operating system they use, they tell you Firefox or IE or Safari. Mm, um, right. They don't think about you know how do you use the computer. Well, first you launch the browser and then you do whatever you're going to do. <laughs> And for those guys, out of the browser is going to be more difficult because that's not the way they're they're used to dealing with things. They're used to popping around and having different tabs with different things, and that's the way they work. But certainly for a line of business application, those guys are entirely comfortable with click here and then some magic happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and with the out of browser story, it, it, it is much closer to click once because you get a yeah. – uh, a start menu and optionally a desktop icon, and when it launches, optionally you can go check to see whether there's newer version of the Zap or Zaps that you're building your application with, so that you can get updates uh, much like you can and, and click once. Though it's a little bit more your responsibility to show a UI while you're getting the updates and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's a similar story that you can still use uh, the. Um, um, web server as the way to deploy updates to your application instead of sending them a new installer. And uh, no p-invoke, right? No p-invoke. No p-invoke. Well, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Um, my problem, you know, we're, we're, we're cross-OS with Silverlight. Yep. And the more power people want, I'm like, well, that's cool, but the moment we say if, Mac, then, <laughs> game's over, right? <laughs> Game over. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's ugly. Why don't we write an Objective-C and a WPF version? Let's yeah. do that. Right. Because it, it will be easier than all these weird nested, you know. So a lot of people came to Silverlight because they didn't want if IE, then yeah, if exactly. Gecko, right? Exactly. It's no better to say if Mac, if PC. Right. And as soon as we, you know, we say 
uh, I, you know, I'm for maybe and out of the browser supporting some things like saving to the desktop, maybe saving to the My Documents folder, and that Silverlight might know what that means on different OSs. You know, uh, obscure that from me. I don't need to know where their Documents folder is. But as soon as you say, uh, I can iterate through the C drive, well, what is a drive on a Mac? Is it is it the same facility? Do yeah. I have to go? You know, I have drive letters here. I don't have drive letters there. I, you know, Not what, what is the story? And it becomes it becomes a mess to create cross platform. If you give if you give developers too much control, they'll you know they'll run it on a PC and then they'll say, well, my Silverlight app only runs on a PC because I never <laughs> tested it on a Mac. All right. Why bother? Yeah. And uh, you know, not to mention the differences in the keyboard layout and and all of that stuff. And some of that is already a problem in Silverlight because there, you can get um, uh, machine in specific or means machine specific key codes. And the advice has always been, ignore, please don't use machine specific key codes because then you're going to have to do the if then. So most people, you know, live without going. Well, Apple F does something. Right. And I'm going to map that to Alt F in uh, on the PC. Most people avoid doing that just because it's painful and not the right approach. Sean, uh, we know you're uh, a trainer. Are you teaching Silverlight classes? Yeah, in fact, we're already teaching uh, uh, the Silverlight Tour class with uh, Silverlight Three materials in them. So um, we started that in Chicago a couple weeks ago. We have a class coming up in Boston on the 29th. And so all of the Silverlight tour stops now include the Silverlight 3 stack. Wow. And um, we also have a uh, Silverlight for SharePoint class as well as an advanced Silverlight class that's going on. You can re- uh, find out about all of those at agilitrain.com, A-G-I-L-I train.com. Neat. Hop on the Agilitrain. Are those three-day, five-day? What are they? They're all three-day except the advanced course is two days. In the advance, we talk about uh, MV. Uh, we talk about Prism and MVVM and uh, advanced data topics and control development and that sort of thing. So, do you do the three day and then the advanced back to back, so somebody could spend a week if they wanted? No, we don't, because by the third day of the Silverlight class, because we run them ten hours a day, Ooh. people are spent. Wow! And I want people to have a little bit more experience writing a, a couple applications before they do the advance so they can understand the concept. So we, we try to dissuade it both publicly and private classes from doing them back-to-back because it's just it's just too much information. Do people bring their own laptops to your classes or do you have machines? They do. It's it's pretty guerrilla in that way. We just, they bring their own laptops, we bring drives, we feed them. Okay. Uh, uh, both uh, intellectually and nutritionally. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm 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 curious because I might actually take you up on that. That sounds like a lot of fun. It is. It is. Uh, I'm really enjoying uh, doing it still, which I never thought would be the case three years ago when we started teaching it. Awesome, Sean. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. It's been a real eye opener. You're obviously uh, an expert on this topic, and uh, come back and talk to us again. Absolutely. Have a good day. All right, and we'll see you next time. Dotnet rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, 
training developers to work smarter, and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.